Yeah, Lady Kate? Yeah. You know, the generosity of women never ceases to amaze me, you know that? Hey, don't even try this shit, man. I don't work like this. No deal. Listen, we ain't got no deal. I own your ass. Ain't no goddamn way to start a partnership. Now get this. We ain't partners. We ain't brothers and we ain't friends. I'm putting you down and keeping you down until Gans is locked up or dead. And if Gans gets away, you're gonna be sorry you ever met me. I'm already sorry. Hello and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. I'm your host, James Kent. And now, here he is, the Jesse Pinkman to my Walter White, Teal. How's it going, buddy? Pretty good. Now, didn't they make a Jesse Pinkman movie? They did, uh, El Camino. Okay, I did not see it. Oh, you haven't? No. Now, you know why I, I did the whole you're Jesse Pinkman and I'm Walter White? No, I don't. Because I'm the one who knocks. <laughs> <laughs> I just um, you know what? We're rewatching the series with my uh, oldest son. Oh, he loves it. He absolutely loves it because when we started it, uh, it gets, you know, I, I had forgotten just how crazy it starts out yes. in the first couple of episodes when things just go horribly wrong for our neophyte, uh, you know, meth makers. Right. And I said to my son at the time, I said, you know, it gets you think this is crazy it gets so much more insane yeah and uh, we came to one of those episodes last night when he when he finished off he just was looking at us like <laughs> i don't believe the ending of that episode uh, so yeah you know it's funny i'm watching watching it a second time a well, you know all the surprises, right. or they come back to you. Like I kind of forgot a lot of the things that yeah. happened. I, I saw it for the first time only I think three years ago. Okay, I watched it while it was on, and I haven't. Seen I know it. I can only imagine that experience that so many people had. I've done that with Better Call Saul. I actually started watching that first, um, oh, and then okay. I got into Breaking Bad because I didn't even know like how. Uh, talk about what a, a treat! I'm watching that show. And all of these characters that I think are amazing are yeah. coming in. And then I'm talking about it, uh, maybe on a Facebook post, and someone wrote like, oh, wasn't it great when those guys came back? And I was like, what guys? Wait a minute. Uh-oh. Maybe <laughs> I, I didn't even think about the fact that these people were all in Breaking Bad. It just didn't dawn on me. Oh, wow. Except that I knew that uh, right. the lawyer, but- I just thought it was some crazy shady lawyer that was so great that they decided to make a story about him. Right. So I had no concept and I, yet I still loved that series. And so then I said, I better, you know, catch up and watch Breaking Bad. And then my wife and I got involved in that. Um, but so watching it a second time, what I'm struck with is there's interesting themes about it. Right. Where it's really a story about cause and effect 
and how some event turns into other events and how yes. A goes to Z and and chaos theory. Yeah, it's kind of a narrative structure where things pile on each other and get worse and worse. Yeah, and the thing is, it's that all the actions, they have a set of reactions. Yes. So you see all the things that happen several episodes and it all gets traced back to this guy's fundamental decision. Exactly. Mouth. And the fact that it makes a very clear line that nothing is, say, preordained and that it's not part of anybody's plan. However, each thing and coincidences and stuff, it all have adds consequences. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's interesting. It's also a lot funnier time, a second time around because I guess I'm not so intense. Right, right, right. Because yeah, I know <laughs> what's going to happen to every character so you can actually enjoy some of the comedy, I guess. Well, yeah. And maybe some of the darker things are funnier the second time around. They are. Yes. So, uh, you know, we were laughing up a storm, which is weird because I didn't really remember <laughs> laughing that much the first time around. Okay, so I live in a state that doesn't have a large population, even though it's a big size state. Yeah, but it, you don't have very many people over there. No, it's the second lowest populated state in the entire country. What's first, Wyoming? I believe it is Wyoming. Okay. Yeah, just putting perspective. And Wyoming's a huge monster state, so that's even right, more sparse, right, yeah. I guess. And of course, you know, Wyoming doesn't have a big problem with COVID-19 because everybody's- Because there's nobody there. Right. And and likewise, Vermont, you know, we're not, we're not immune, but the case is that we've had since the start of this is about 1,500, which is right. pretty low. Which is pretty low. Yeah. yeah. And we have about 600 plus thousand people that live in the state. And it's just okay. so weird because, you know, there's a couple of million who live in just New York City. <laughs> right. 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 Uh, so, you know, just putting that in perspective that we don't have a lot of people, we're all spread out. So, does it mean we can't get it? No. It means we, you know, it just means that we don't have big gatherings in the first place. Right. My concern is that people then also on the reverse side, they don't take it very seriously. They wear masks only when they have to, though they're pretty obedient about that. Though there's a segment, there's a segment there that, you know, uh, is very begrudging when they have to wear it in a grocery yes. store. And if they're not being told they have to, they won't. Yep. And then there's a lot of people I see walking around, like w interacting with people that I know is not their immediate family. Not their COVID circle. There's, their COVID circle is large, yeah. uh, a lot larger than mine. But- it does mean that movie theaters can open in Vermont. Yes, and several other states. And several other states, yes. I mean, not there's not cross-country. I mean, you have states, I guess we'll call them red states, that are going to open because they're like, well, whatever. Freedom, baby! Right. But even still, the theaters are changing their practices. Yeah, and so that's actually part of it. Just because you ha can open the, the store, technically, you have to follow these rules and protocols. And if you can't, then you can't open. And I think that's a struggle for smaller theaters, which you can imagine Absolutely. in Vermont, they have, you know, they're smaller theaters. So the only theater to my knowledge in Vermont that is open is way up north from me. And mm -hmm. it's, and when I say way up north, it's past Burlington a little oh, bit. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's an hour and 45 minute drive. And most of that is because you can't get there uh, directly right, right. from yeah. the highway. Oh, I, oh, I know. To, yeah, yeah. You know how it is. You you live in I know how state. it is. There's lots of little windy roads between you and this theater. Yeah. But it's a big it's a big theater. It's beautiful, by the way. Um, really nice independent theater. And they have a thing they call the T-Rex Theater, which is their big theater, which, you know, any, any really nice state-of-the-art uh, multiplex chain in, say, Massachusetts would equal right. their best screen would be this theater's best screen it is okay. not an imax uh right. it's not a super dolby deluxe but it's 
you know, it's pretty damn good and a lot better than some uh, theaters I've been into. Right. So they were open. And again, you know, if I want to go to the movies, that's two hours away. Plus, there's also restrictions within going into other states. That's a big problem for me is that quarantine things. Our state, you know, if you go out of state and you go to a state that's got a certain code. Right. You come back, you have to quarantine. So Exactly. Yep. Even if it's quicker, like I could literally go to New Hampshire quicker than I could go. <laughs> and then the border of New York is only like 20 minutes from me. But right. depending on, there's a whole code. And see, my wife is in healthcare. And so we have to follow different rules because she can't just go out right, of state right. necessarily. Like they, they check a chart on Fridays. And if it's like red or yellow or green, if it's green, it's okay. But she ran into a situation where people went on these vacations they had to have in the summer. Right. And like she had people that went out to Maine and went on vacation while they were there. The area that they were at turned from green to red. Right. Because the cases. So guess what? They came back. They had to quarantine. Yeah. Um, and that where they can get a test. And then after the test comes. Right. Right. But I mean, these are things that happen. So, you know, we're we're, we're kind of locked into our state. So it's just easier to stay in state. So I have this one theater that I could go to. They were showing Tenet in their big theater. Yeah. And I was curious. I was kind of curious saying, you know what? I am in a lower state. They have protocols. You have to wear masks. I have a, a, a very secure mask. It's a little bit of an upgrade to what most people wear because it'll protect me and them. So I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll go up there and just see what it's all about because I f- was angry, actually, that tenants are right. being released in theaters right now. Well, there's been a lot written about that and, you know, whether Christopher Nolan is uh, being – a little cruel to people by forcing them to go. And and that I've, I've seen several articles like, should you go see Tenet? And it basically runs through all the risk assessment things you just went through. And so, like, the movie at this point is kind of inseparable from its release. I read several reviews that were saying, hey, the review is going to be somehow affected by the, by the viewing experience. Well, yeah, and that's kind of why I wanted to even talk about it, because we're really about the experience and seeing. Yeah. And of course, you know me, I like to see things in the theater. And now we have this tenant. And of course, depending on if it was in other states, I might not, no matter what, be going out because, you know, it's going to be more populated. More people are going to go. And I just, you know, I'm not looking. I want to see a movie. I don't want to die because I (laughs) saw a movie get sick and get other people sick. But I still felt that, yes, there's a risk. I wasn't wasn't fooling myself into thinking there wasn't going to be a risk. I did know that this theater, I think it was allowed to have like a third. It was going to do a third capacity. Okay. So I think- it was about 225, 230 seats. It allowed a maximum of 75 people. Okay. Interesting. You have to choose your seat while you get there on the computer right. screen. They never used to do that at this theater, but now they do. And they do it where you can't, say, order online and pick your seats in advance because they want to make sure that they're, they're spacing everyone. Yeah. So I like that too. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go up there. And you know what? Here's the thing. This is why, why am I mad at, at, at Nolan? I don't even know. Is it Nolan or it's a studio? Because it costs $200 million. So they can't just go, let's put this on a TV and hope people spend 30 bucks. Right. They need to make box office. And I'm thinking the studio is like, we can't wait till next year to recoup our money. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) I think that's the way they're looking at it, you know? And so they're like, well, if we are the first ones out of the gate and we can go internationally, 
the more we can make, and maybe it can stay in theaters longer. Right, because there aren't as many. Yeah, because right now I looked at the slate. There's nothing really of note coming out till I don't know, maybe October, November. So they've done it regardless. Yeah. And another thing, reason why I'm angry is that I've seen every Chris Nolan movie um, that he's released in IMAX. I think since Batman. I don't. I don't know okay. if he did the Prestige in IMAX. I don't, I just remember. don't remember. I can't. Yeah, but I I saw all three Batmans in IMAX, and I and of course at the time it was IMAX film. Right. Yes. I saw Dunkirk in IMAX, and I actually was able to go to an IMAX film theater. I saw Interstellar in IMAX. I saw it digitally, laser digital projected. Okay. And then I saw Inception also in IMAX on film. And oh. The thing is that. You know, again, he's all about the film experience and, yeah. and he shoots large format. Each film, he finds new ways to increase the amount of footage being shot on IMAX. Right, right, right. So in those scenes, if you see it in an IMAX theater, regardless if it's it's traditional film, which only a few of those exist anymore, yeah. or if you see it on digital, you're getting this huge monster screen. And the full impact that those images have and were meant to have can only be experienced if you go see it in IMAX that way. Yeah. Uh, the second best, which he also was going to be doing, and I knew in Boston they were going to do this, they would be showing it on 70 millimeter film. Anything in that new film, Tenet, that wasn't yeah. shot on IMAX was shot 65 millimeter. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I remember almost a year ago going to see Joker in 70 millimeter. Yeah. They had a teaser trailer for Tenet. It's the only trailer I ever watched because I actually wanted to avoid as much of the plot and understanding as possible. Yeah. The impact of the images in 70 millimeter, it's so different than when you watch it in any other way. Interesting. It's wow. just, it's yeah. like there's something very visceral. Uh, it's hard to describe unless you're there to see it. You're just like, whoa. It's a matter of watching something and being like, oh, yeah, this is pretty intense versus, oh, wow. You know, it's interesting that Nolan does this because the best experience of the film is really a limited audience is going to be able to get to see it in IMAX. And, 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 and he's designing it to be seen that way. Well, of course, you know, you couldn't predict at the time that a good chunk of people weren't going to get to see it that way at all because of this pandemic. Right, but but even but even, you know, with Inception or, you know, his his other films with that are shot like that. It's still, you know, there's only so many theaters playing it in IMAX. A lot of people are going to see it in a regular screen and regular theater. And a lot of people are going to see it at home. True. Uh, there are a lot that will argue and saying, well, if the film can't hold up in the small, tiny screen, then it just doesn't right. hold up. And that's that's their opinion. And there may be some validity to it. And there are going to be a lot of people that would watch it at home and still enjoy it anyway. Yes. Yes. Right. They don't they don't care. They don't need it. No. With all that going in, I, I realized I'm like this movie, no matter what it is, this is my only shot to see it on the big screen. I can't say that. Oh, next summer they're going to re-release it in IMAX. I don't know that. Right, right, right. But I did know that I am not going to get a chance on its first run to see it in 70 millimeter. I'm not going to get to see it in IMAX. So I got to go up here if I want to see it at all. Yeah. So I go there and immediately I actually got there with a half an hour to spare because I know this theater again, Vermont, and there's only been maybe one time I've ever been there and it was a sellout. And I think that okay. was when uh, the whole family, we had already had pre-tickets. It's for some of the Star Wars movies. And so was this a matinee you were uh, going to? This was a matinee. Yeah. So 
I kind of, uh, well, I would have gone on an off night, but it's a long drive up there. And part of the fact, since they can't really open up full time, meaning that they, they right. can't guarantee people are going to come, they're only showing one show a night of all their movies. And oh. then on the weekends, they have afternoon shows and a seven o'clock show. There's no tent. There's no late show. Okay. They probably have to cut staff. Yep. Until such time that the theaters can get back, because if you can only show at minimum capacity, you can't make very much money. No. So I also thought that if I go to the noon show, yeah, it might be busier. I'll take my chance. But at the same time, there'll have been no audience tainting the seats before me. Right. <laughs> well, I'm trying to be as cautious no, as I can. No, no, no. Absolutely. I'm, I'm laughing, but I would be doing the same. I would be having exactly the same I'm thoughts. I'm trying to and, give you James Kent's guide for how to go back to the theater how, yeah, as safe and, as and, you and, can. And I'll just say, I want to see this movie, but I'm not going to the theater. I know you're not. I know you're not. And yeah. it's too bad. I don't want to jump the gun. But I don't know if it's going to hold up as well on the small screen. Right. Um, I think that because you like a certain genre of movie, you may find this interesting. So anyways... I get to the theater, hardly any cars are there. So I'm like, okay, that's a good sign. I'm not going to like run into like a sellout because I couldn't buy tickets in advance. I have to show up and hope that I didn't drive two hours almost right. and have a sellout. I get there and the first thing you do, you have to sign in for contact tracing. Oh, okay. And I could see only a few people had signed in before me and they were all going to the same theater. Okay. Because you have to put in what theater you're what, going to. What theater you're going to, yeah. And I was going in the special T-Rex, which is, you know, nicer seats, better sound, right. biggest screen in Vermont, that kind of thing. I do that. You're only allowed, at this time anyway, they didn't want to have any cash transactions. Oh, interesting. So it was all credit card. So I pay by credit card. Then the next thing was you could get concessions, which in in Massachusetts, I found out, they any theater that's opened, you cannot get concessions. That's rough for the theater. That's well, but at the same time, they can't. You know, people well, can take know. their mask off and eat. Uh, no, I'm just talking about the money. Yeah, know? no, I know, but I'm just you know that's why I think I think any theater is opening is kind of just saying it's going to be a loss. But if I don't open now, we may never open. Right, right. That's right. what I'm guessing. I don't know. Uh, but in Vermont, because there's not a huge amount of people, they would let you buy concessions when you had your seat, which they determined, you know, you would have a, a whole bunch of spaces around you, front, back, and the sides, Yeah, that you could take your mask off, which I don't like that. Um, and I did not. For me, I'm like, you know what? I'm just trying to, like, I know I was going to be safe. I felt it, but... Also, I mean, this is an invisible vibe. It's not like I can just guarantee. Right, right. Yeah. There's there's no guarantees here. Yeah. yeah. So I go in. This is the matinee of a big, first big release of the year, really. And there was a total, counting me, of five people. Oh, wow. That's it. For the whole show. Nobody else showed up. Nope. Just five people. Me and uh, two other couples. Wow. Yep. And I was by myself. Yeah. And so that was it. So, I mean, I had like a dead center seat. There were people at the very back row. And then there were people that was like a little below section. Right. And they were sitting there. I mean, I felt about as safe as I possibly could be. Wow. Okay. So I was like, well, you know what? At least in the early back, I'm like one of the early adopters and I'm getting like <laughs> right, a treat for right, right, that. Right, right. And then it was a weird, you know, it was almost a comforting feeling being back in a theater again. Yeah. And then the previews come on. And that's when it was like, wow, I'm actually seeing a movie and I'm seeing previews <laughs> for a movie. And they had a teaser for Dune. And it looked amazing. Oh. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a big screen movie if I ever saw one. Who's directing that? Dennis Vanellu, the guy that did oh, uh, yeah, yeah, all yeah. those great oh. movies, Prisoner, Sicario, Blade Runner yeah. 2046 or 9, whatever. Yeah. Oh man, it looks so great. 
Okay, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, he's the guy to do it. Yeah. And then, so, okay, then Tenet comes on, and I and I could see the images all shot in 70 millimeter or IMAX, and I could almost yeah. tell which ones probably blew up the whole screen, and I could almost feel or imagine what the impact of those images would be if I could right. have seen them in IMAX, but I didn't. I saw them in a regular <laughs> theater, and it was and still, it was good, but Nolan's particular action style is designed for a certain type of experience, yes. which I know you've never actually seen, which is interesting. You've never seen any of his films the way he actually shoots them for. That's my point about Nolan is that, you know, a lot of people are not going to, you know, I saw a bunch of those movies in the theater, but I didn't see them in IMAX. And so, you know, he, yeah, he's designing his movies for a small percentage of his audience. Yeah. So, it, it, and so I felt fortunate to watch it. And here's the thing. I think that there's this, I don't know, maybe it's an expectation and it's with the younger audiences that are Nolan fanatics, right? Yes. They want, and I think to some degree, even critics, they want every one of his movies to be some kind of masterpiece. Right. And and yet none of them are. <laughs> no. Um, well, I think Dunkirk <laughs> is close, um, but there's still some issues. However, they don't leave room for the fact that maybe he's just trying to make a piece of summer popcorn entertainment right stuck in the middle of july which is when it was supposed to come out it was yeah. all carefully designed that's what this movie is it's like a J he never got a chance to direct a james bond movie. right this is kind of like a james bond movie with some of the nolan sort of sci-fi twisty turny stuff right but it's, it, what i've i've read very little about it i haven't seen a trailer but yeah i've read that it's Sort of an action spy heist kind of thing. That's it. It's nothing more, nothing less. Yes, yeah. there's a convention. There's temporal space and time right. issues going on in the movie. And it's it's pseudo it's pseudo physics. Why is it pseudo physics? Because nothing like that happens right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so people are hung up on like, could this really happen? It's like, it's a freaking movie. Right. It's it a doesn't fantasy. matter. He's, it's a fantasy. In this movie, it can happen. Yeah. That someone has created, like you guys are getting caught up on the wrong thing. You, <laughs> It's like a concept in the movie. It drops you in in media res. It's, Oh, okay. You're in, right. and then it doesn't give you time to really uh, think. It's not heavy, I don't think, on the plot. Dialogue, you may have read this, is at times you can't even, it's incomprehensible. Yes, I have heard that. Yeah. It's so science y gibberish. No, it's not even that. It's that it's hard to actually hear what they're saying. Oh, what? Yeah. That's a whole big knock that people have with Interstellar, which I didn't have a hard time understanding voices, but the soundtrack sometimes overwhelms what they're saying. And his whole thing is he's creating an experience with the noise around that yeah. the characters wouldn't necessarily be able to hear. He's making people strain to hear what they're saying. Yeah. I actually felt like it's okay. Like, if anything, for this is a perfect foreign movie. You just throw international film. You throw credits on it, you know, subtitles. Right. And then people can understand in the, with the subtitles because it's not that important. It's a visual movie from A to Z. So, And you can follow it along through a visual style. <laughs> <laughs> so this has long been my complaint about no one. You're, you're familiar with this yeah, complaint. Yes, I am. I wish that he would cut some of his dialogue. This is even better. You can't understand what the dialogue is. It's great. <laughs> that's No, that sounds fantastic to me. That sounds like uh, what I like about Nolan is his visuals. What I don't like is his dialogue. 
is it John David Washington? Is that Denzel's son who was in Black Klansman and is and he's the lead in this? He plays the protagonist. That's his character's name. Uh, okay. He's amazing. He is a guy who's just got a lot of charisma and appeal. And he okay. really propels this uh, narrative. He makes you interested and engaged. And then Robert Pattinson is there alongside for a lot of it. And he's just fun. Yeah, I, I really like Pattinson. Yeah, right? so this is like Pattinson. Like, so Nolan gets these people that are really appealing. Yeah. And he, they carry through. And it's, again, it's, think about James Bond. Is there anything deep in those movies? No, no. You're, it's, it's, you're just going, there's some twists and turns in the plot. Gr- exotic locations. And you're going from one set piece to the next. And these set pieces, mind you, this is the part again that we just already had the discussion. If these, set, if I saw these set pieces on IMAX, I enjoyed the set pieces. I thought yeah. they were great. But if I saw them in IMAX, I would have been blown away. Yeah, he shies away from green screen. There's no green screen. In the there's movie. no green screen, and there's very little CGI. Right? He it, as much as you can handle. It's in camera. It's interesting. I listened to a podcast. Uh, I think I re- listened to it on the way up or maybe I was cutting along the other day because of the time off. Roger Deakins, the great cinematographer, yeah, yeah. his wife and partner, uh, James Deakins, she's a, was, she's a script supervisor and that's okay. how they met on set. She really got into doing a podcast and so he goes along with it and so she gets oh, it all fun. set up and then he's there as well. But they get these A-list guests. Oh, yeah. So cinematographer uh, Hote Hotetama the Dutch right. cinematographer who shot uh, Let the Right One In, and he shot the last couple of Nolan films, Dunkirk right. and Interstellar. He also, of course, shot Tenet. And essentially, there's a lot of effects that are created ahead of the film. They're carefully planned, and then they're put into the movie. Like with Interstellar, Almost all those visual effects were created and projected so that the actors and actresses were seeing real stuff and it was photographed afterwards. So a lot of the special effects is how to integrate those effects that are created, but then put them in in camera. Right, right, right. So like if they're looking out the window in Interstellar, the stars there, they're actually seeing. So it's an interesting approach. And so, I mean, again, this film, when you see a movie that looks practical, we always talk about this. There's some excitement to the action and it's different than the kind of action movies we've been used to for the past 15 years. Yeah. CGI has completely changed action movies and it's given us these like long shots. And I have like, uh, you know, some flashbacks to those Avengers movies and how awful the action is in them. Nolan, I mean, the stuff that's great about a film like this, and again, I don't know, it'll probably get lost on the small screen, just how amazing some of this is, is that there are things that are going forward and backwards in this movie at the same time. Right. And in one hand, it looks like sloppy direction because it's so confusing. But the other hand is it's supposed to confuse you. You're watching stuff you're not supposed to see, and it's very disorienting to the mind. Oh, interesting. So, I mean, my brain, it, it was a little, it's, a, it's an assault on your brain. And I think that uh, it, it, by the fact that if you're really trying to pay attention to what does something mean or what is someone going to say, that right. gets in the way with what he's trying to do. So instead, the dialogue is really superfluous in this. And again, it's very easy to really just f- go for the ride, follow it along, and then right. you're there. But like I said, 
this is unfortunately the uh, the wrong movie for this type of pandemic because it's something that I think audiences would really enjoy the experience of. Right. You know, but that's it. But I mean, do I love them? I mean, it's kind of like, again, it's forgettable. And I don't, I think that's a sin for some people when it comes to Nolan is that it's just a piece of popcorn entertainment, no deep themes right. in my book. It's really just, it's like a kind of an action adventure tale. And there's definitely room, there'd be room for a sequel that probably never get made. But <laughs> his Batman movies are largely just adventure tales. So here's my two things about Christopher Nolan. He's definitely a director that doesn't have any big themes going on. Yes. And another thing about him, I realize he's pretty humorless. <laughs> like no, if you think what, about his movies, they're not yeah. really, there's not like funny jokes and it's really, there may be a chuckle or two, but they're pretty humorous. But there are no, there's very few moments of levity or joy or happiness. I think that was the knock about the, the last Batman movie, The Dark Knight Rises. It is very dour. It is extremely dour. Yeah, it really is. And then he, he just has bad luck because that, unfortunately, oh, yeah. when that came out the, the night before, when they had those night previews, a guy came comes in and shoots up a movie theater and that for opening weekend, you couldn't see that movie and not be a little on edge. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And now you're sitting there in a pandemic. Yeah. You're on edge (laughs) and you're on edge. And I mean, you can't totally escape that feeling when you're sitting there. I'm guessing that, you know, when you're sitting there wearing a mask that you don't, that's there a little bit all the time. Yeah. It made about the estimated for the long weekend in the United States. It made about $20 million. Normally an opening weekend for that movie would have going to be 80 million to a hundred easy. Yeah. It's made a total though in internationally counting a uh, U.S. box office, $150 million. That's pretty good. So far. And it's going to keep going for a little bit. So I mean, yeah. they'll recoup money and I don't know whether or not it's the right strategy. I just, I feel like as, as really a super film goer, I could have waited till next year. Do they have plans for when it's available? I don't know that. That's going to be interesting to see how quickly. You know, if this is what I would say to you, and I know you're not, I just know that you don't, even if you wanted to, you're not going to have any time. But if there was a good theater that you felt pretty comfortable with in your range and you felt safe, I think for you, you'd have a good time seeing it in the theater, but you don't even have a good theater to see it in anyway. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but I mean, I also supported the local theater because honestly, I don't know how long they're going to stay in business if the, if the, if the attendance is like that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, our local theater, my local theater has a little drive-in. Yeah, they've been doing that. We, I've actually several episodes this summer have been talking about the fact that almost every town is opening up with these tiny drive-ins now. Yeah, so they also at the drive-in at my local theater, they've been doing concerts. That's what's always interesting in these things is that people are finding ways to try to make money during the pandemic. Exactly. But okay, so we talked about that for a little bit. Again, I'm like I said, I'm 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 a little disappointed in that I just know I was going to see Tenet either in IMAX or right. 70 millimeter. I would have loved to have seen it in both to compare and contrast because I did that with Dunkirk, but I got to see it. And that in itself, I was able to talk about it and a lot of people won't be able to talk about it. So at least for our listeners, I don't think I spoiled anything. <laughs> no, you didn't. I, I still know nothing about the movie. So that's great. Uh, it, it really, I know it sounds crazy, but it's not a film you have to spoil. I think you talk about it the way I just did. It's right. an experience and there is a lot to enjoy. I had a good time, but I also, you know, 
I, I just thought, okay, it's, 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 I don't, I, I thought it was a good movie. I can't right, say it was right. the best film of the year or that, you know? Yeah. And people do, you're right. There is this expectation on Nolan now, but uh, you know, I, uh, you know how I feel about Nolan, but it, it does make me wonder how this uh, Milan movie is going to go. Well, okay. Over. Now that's, now I wanted to ask you about that because yeah. you went on record. You were like really wanting to see that with your daughters. Yes. And you were like, I'd spend 20 bucks. Well, it now costs $30 because Disney is greedy. <laughs> yes. I will not pay $30. First of all, I heard it wasn't very good. The reviews are kind of negative. If, if the reviews had been different, I might consider 30, but it sounds like the movie is okay like it's pretty good it's good enough because there's nothing available a lot of the pay stations are getting these movies that came out in the spring yeah they're getting it so what movie you paid twenty dollars for during the summer is now available for free if you subscribe to hulu yeah exactly trolls world tour yes i can watch that and not pay twenty dollars yeah I don't mind going and taking the family and spending $30 for a big screen experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And then four months, five months later, it's like, oh, well, it's on. But there's something about, oh, I just paid $30 to watch it on TV. And now I can still watch it on TV, but not pay $30. But not pay $30. Yeah. I mean, part of it is, you know, like with kids and stuff is they like yeah. just kind of be in the moment and. I want to watch Mulan, Daddy. If it was 20 bucks, I would feel much different if they came begging me to see Mulan. But the fact of the matter is my ki my kids are not begging me to see Mulan. Yeah. And the thing is, I bet you by Christmas, they can see it on Disney. Yes, for exactly. Free. Yeah, because we have Disney Plus. It'll be on Disney Plus at some point. I, I suspect they're going to make some pretty good money off it. I don't know. I'd like to see if they'll report it because you know what? I feel people need to reject that because next thing you know, it'll be like, Ooh, do you want to watch the Mandalorian season two now? Or do you want to watch it in a few months? Oh, this is right. your early $30 <laughs> gets you to see baby Yoda and be the first one to talk about it. So if you don't say no to Mulan, you're going to have to say yes to the Mandalorian. Yeah. I guarantee you that's the kind of crap they're going to do because they lured you in like a drug dealer where the first <laughs> the first year almost everybody got it for free with some deal and now like it's going to be a whole different bag of wax. Yeah, that's fascinating. It's, I don't I I have no knowledge of that, but I just know these people. Look, they are multi-billion dollar corporations. They need to make money. They're going to do it. And and they're experimenting now. Like the $30 price point. I bet they did a lot of polling and focus group testing and uh, to come up with that price point. A perfect storm for them is, I mean, they have all of their theme parks, the money that's generated there that yeah. they've lost. And then all of the, the products and stuff that you buy there, that whole yeah. thing gone. And then they haven't had any Marvel movies this year. That's what's so fascinating. <laughs> movies that were never, ever destined to be released in theaters are getting yeah. released now. Like that Russell Crowe movie. You can't tell me that that was going to be a theater release. I, <laughs> you know, that was bound to be on the uh, the now playing in theaters somewhere uh, section of your DVR <laughs> right. right next to the next Nicolas Cage, which, by the way, there is a Cage movie out there right now with him on a boat with some like ferocious creature or something. I don't know. Oh, wow. And that's in theaters? No, no, that's on demand because Nicolas Cage movies have one place only. That's on demand. That's, yeah, that's what I was getting but at. Russell yeah. Crowe was definitely bound for that <laughs> where he plays like you know road rage gone wrong um, oh yes that movie yeah 
but oh, that's playing yes. in drive-ins in some theaters. <laughs> and then, of course, Bill and Ted, it did make it into some of these theaters. Again, would never have been in the theaters. It would have just been straight to right. demand. Uh, I look forward to seeing that for free. <laughs> yeah, and it's gotten, you know, mediocre reviews. Yeah, that'll be fun to watch for free. Yeah. Okay, so now, in the second half of the program... <laughs> wait (laughs) yeah so for you listeners out there who might have uh started listening during the summer and you're like who's this guy (laughs) he's actually the co-host of the show actually the co-host i've just been on on hiatus you're like where's that obnoxious guy from queens that has been on and making us hear lurid tales of the movie cinema Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You, you know, so some of these things get, for you, the listener, some of these things get taped out of order. So you'll hear this, I don't know, in a couple of weeks, but you're, you'll just heard episode with Bill and myself where we uh, discussed interesting tales of the cinema and then mm-hmm. uh, went into camp movies. And then there'll be this episode. And then in a future episode, Bill will be back on again for something that was taped weeks and weeks ago. Oh, right. Where we discuss the film works of uh, Nicholas Winding Rafen. So, yeah. Now we should be getting back on track. And <laughs> as you may have noticed, it's a much different style of uh, show with Teal and myself. It's a little bit more calm, I think. <laughs> a little less body, not as much ribbing and stuff as with this with Phil and myself. So, a couple episodes ago, we had on a guest this guy who does an Instagram account called All the Great Movies. Yeah. Eric Jason Gray, I think is his name. And one thing that got brought up during that, because we were focusing on the year 1993, was this film Bodies Rest in Motion. Yes. And when I did my Instagram postings about it, I, I posted a picture of that as just, you know, kind of saying to people, these are some of the things we talked about. And it got a tremendous amount of likes on that particular image. And I thought it was interesting. I don't know whether it's it just struck a chord because a lot of people are like, oh, my goodness, I remember that movie and it's just not available. Yeah. I even just had somebody post on it the other day saying, I found it and, and I'm going to watch it. So it, it clearly was. Is it hard to find? Oh, I think so. Okay. I mean, it's probably not impossible, but it right. certainly doesn't show up just free on demand with a right. streaming service. Well, who is the director? Uh, the director is Michael Steinberg, and he also directed this movie, which it kind of is thematically, it's a very early 90s film called The Water Dance. Oh, I remember Eric that. Eric Stoltz plays oh, a yes, yes, yes. quadriplegic. I have seen that. Yeah, I've seen it a few times. I remember liking that movie. What this got us thinking is that you, Teal, said on that episode, yeah, you said, oh, that, you know, that uh, Body's Rest in Motion was kind of like a 90s slacker movie. Yes. And it really got me thinking that you don't often get a new genre introduced mm-hmm. into film. And that really was the 90s had a genre called slacker films. Yeah. But what they are is sort of when Gen X first started really making movies. Yeah, and they were doing it about Gen X themes. Exactly. They were talking about their generation and what young people were doing and what their concerns were. And they're sort of Gen X, but slash slacker movies. It's its own genre in the way that like grunge was its, you know, the 90s music genre. Well, yeah, there's kind of an aesthetic. And also, I think that having lived it, right, you and I both, we were Gen X. And the 90s, it was a very disillusioning time to be in your 20s, where all that we knew about the 20s is, you know, you get out of college and you get a job, you start your career. And we had this image sort of fed to us 
of what our 20s were supposed to be. Right. And then we discovered they were something different and they were they were almost just even to get that first like job that could pay you any money was a struggle. Never mind trying to figure out a career. Yeah, and there was a pretty severe economic recession right around 90-91. So what happened is you start to see these filmmakers which again if you think about these independent filmmakers 90s, they were people that shirked the corporate world. And yes. they wanted, you know, I don't know how, how artistic their endeavors are or how much they saw themselves as artists, but they wanted to make movies, which for most parents would be like, that's what you're going to do? But exactly. what about making money? And now I have to pay more money to make you so you can make your film? It really got kicked off. I don't think I, 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 I mean, the term it wasn't invented in the 90s. I mean, the word slacker, that that's a dictionary term. However, right. it literally kicked off in 1990 because director Richard Linkletter made a movie called Slacker. Yes. And it really is, to me, that is, if you want to have a starting point, that is, there's definitely, the independent film scene started changing in the late 80s, but that movie Slacker really kicked off what we're talking about. Something that's important to point out here is a lot of these movies are sort of working outside the studio system. Yes. And they were able to do that because of video stores, because you could sell X number of copies of a movie, you could pre-sell it even, you know, Blockbuster would buy whatever number thousands of the movies. And so you kind of had this pre-sale built in for these lower budget movies. And so it, it, it made sort of this independent film revolution in the 90s possible. When Slacker came out, I remember it being something that all the kids at NYU were seeing. Yes. And I don't know if I just, it didn't appeal to me or what, but I didn't see it in the theater. Uh, neither did I. And it was probably VHS, not a... Oh, I definitely rented it on VHS. Yeah. Uh, my sister was really into it and I think had seen it in the theater. She's also Gen X. She was in art school at the time. And the movie touched a nerve with our generation. I mean, it's about people that are kind of a little bit directionless. And the movie is also directionless. Yes. Yeah. And that's what's great about it is that it, it is the thing it was talking about. I think also it's a movie that I don't really feel like the only person who's done a movie like that since is Richard Linkletter. Yes. Which is Waking Life. But the idea that you could get people talking, camera follows them, and then suddenly pick up another conversation yeah. or person and keep doing that. You don't even notice necessarily the editing. And before you know it, you've gone through like 30 characters and right. the movie's over. And you're like, how did I even get to the beginning? Like, how did I <laughs> yeah. get here? That's got to be really hard to do. He is definitely a slacker slash a major Gen X filmmaker. Several of the movies that he makes in the 90s are slacker movies. Exactly. They have a certain aesthetic point of view and then the characters, um, their age. And I think one of the key things about a slacker movie is the characters, by and large, that you have on screen do not have ordinary jobs. Or I should say the kind of like jobs that are like kind of blue, not even blue collar, but like they're not people that are, are working, say, 40 hour a week jobs. Exactly. Yeah, they're definitely not. Yeah, they're fringe jobs or they're trying to make it so they're holding down weird little jobs or they're in the process of trying to get to that special corporate gig. The movie that comments sort of directly on this job thing is Reality Bites. Yeah, and that's jumping a few years ahead. I know, I know. That's 94, and that's the one that everybody you know knows, and it's definitely a big, huge piece of the slacker films. It is, yeah. Because you do actually have this conflict between right. Ben Stiller, who directed the movie, plays a guy who is 
kind of that corporate guy. Exactly. I'm not a fan of that movie, which many people would probably want to beat me for saying that. I'm not one of them. I'm not a fan of the movie either. I didn't like most of the characters in the movie. Yeah. I found them very unappealing. And I found a lot of the Reality Bites characters kind of spoiled brats. Well, <laughs> And I liked Ben Stiller's character. Like, I actually liked Ben yeah. Stiller's character. He's supposed to be a guy that you have um, Ethan Hawke's character despises. But yet I found myself despising Ethan Hawke more than I <laughs> despised Ben Stiller. And I don't know how the movie wanted me to feel. But part of my issue with Reality Bites is that it felt to me like a studio version of a slacker movie. Yeah, I agree. And of course, though, it still became very iconic. Yeah. But yeah, so it's weird. It, it's in the category, but it doesn't really have that independent feel. Exactly. Yeah. And so as a result, it felt to me like a little bit more of like a pop song. And it did have a pop song <laughs> in it. Mm-hmm. Now, staying with 1990, this is weird. These are not movies that are necessarily thought of as soccer movies, but I like to throw out some titles for people to think of. And one is, it's because I think slacker movies are generally an American film movement, but I think that Mike Lee's Life is Sweet has those slacker characters in it because the two sisters are total slackers. You're right. You're right. And then another, an English filmmaker who made an American movie that I know you and I have seen, but very few people would be like, what is this? And that's why I mention it. It has Uma Thurman in it, and it's called Where the Heart Is. Oh, yeah. John Borman. Yeah, John Borman. Yes, uh, with Dabney Coleman. Dabney Coleman, he is the sort of rich real estate guy yeah. who's knocking down houses, and his own kids who he's thrown out and basically says, you guys need to make your way, because he doesn't understand what's right. going on with that culture. They basically start squatting in the uh, apartment and won't... Uh, they won't they won't get out so that he can tear the building down and there's a whole component of them trying to be artists part of these movies is that desire to sort of do what you love versus what you need to do to be part of society and the conflict between those two things there was another movie that came out in 1990 uh-huh even though it's set in high school i definitely feel like it's the start of slacker uh-huh. films but director alan moyles pump up the volume yes Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of movies that are like Gen X classics, but aren't necessarily made by Gen X. I'm thinking like the John Hughes movies. Yeah, but those are 80s, right? It's a whole thing. I mean, there's not, he never made a slacker movie, right? Well, no, that's my point is that those movies were the ones that influenced the people who ended up making the slacker movies. Yes. And I feel like the reason why I pump up the volume, I think, fits is that there's definitely an attitude that the kids in that movie would be the slackers in a few years. Absolutely. Yeah. And and there is sort of an anti-establishment. Yes aspect to these movies yeah not everyone but i'd say a good majority yeah i mean i'm thinking even movies this is a really weird one to pick out here and again i'm skipping ahead but a movie like singles that's 1992 and you know you look back at it now and you see all the grunge and things but right in 92 there's a large part of the country that had not really experienced the grunge movement yet right and cameron crow when he was directing me he's right up there in seattle yeah covering that scene and some of the characters are those like young late 20s 
and starting their careers yes. and had already moved away a little bit from the slackers, but then they're surrounded by characters who didn't and are living that slacker existence. Exactly. But it's something about like, I'm not going to live the life that was laid out for me. So I mean, anti-establishment in that sense that like they're, they're breaking against social norms and traditional notions of career, things like that. I think this is a slacker movie is Wayne's World. I would say Wayne's World is a slacker movie. Yeah. And I just rewatched it with my youngest who really enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. I haven't seen it oh, in a very long time. Well, that's because you're not a comedy guy. Mm -hmm. It's true. I don't understand that. I mean, you laugh all the time, but that doesn't mean you like comedy. I don't find movies funny. <laughs> you do sometimes. <laughs> I, but I have a weird sense. There's another movie we're going to be talking about in the fourth hour of this show. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I got a lot of laughs out of. Uh, well, we may end up having, I mean, we got a whole list. I don't think we're going to get through the whole list. Um, <laughs> though I do like to, when we touch briefly, uh, and again, we can be very brief so we can get to those nuggets. Because um, I'm just going to rattle things off. And yeah. you know, sometimes we talk about these movies another time. So 93 is where I think we really get, we, 93, 94, 95, we're really seeing a lot of slacker movies. Yeah. And so in 93, Days and Confused, yeah. And that's, I mean, even though it's set in 1976, it is absolutely It's a absolutely movie. a slacker movie. Yeah. Uh, the Bodies Rest in Motion. We already mentioned that. Yeah. I contend because of the characters in it who are slackers, who the only thing they can think of uh, to make money is crime, is true romance. And, and then you have that Brad Pitt character who is a slacker. Uh, who is a slacker. Uh, that's, and that's an interesting addition to the list i mean it's definitely it's gen xy it's interesting that christian slater is you know well he was also in pump up the volume we get certain actors and actresses that show up in these things yeah yeah and bodies rest in motion has like bridget fonda right and, yep. and eric stoltz and eric stoltz yeah and of course in 93 eric stoltz will not be outdone he's also in this weird very little scene movie that i somehow for some reason saw in the theater uh director daniel algrant don't know him uh directed this movie called naked in new york oh yeah so I'm giving Stoltz the label King of the Slackers. <laughs> and that's another movie about a guy who's trying to make his way, but through being an artist. Right. Exactly. That seems like in the 90s, if you dared to try to have a career in art, you were a slacker. I think so. Yeah. I mean, that was really, uh, <laughs> again, it's that whole like rejection of the traditional route. It's like, I'm not going to have a, I'm not going to work a nine to five or 40 hours a week. I'm going to follow my dreams and my passions. And a large part of that ends up not working out for these people. I don't know if a lot of people consider a slacker movie, but I do. And it's interesting because it's, again, it's tied into Mike Myers and it's So I Married an Axe Murderer. And the reason why it's like, is just, I challenge you to tell me what his job is. I don't think he has one. He somehow lives in San Francisco. <laughs> I haven't seen the movie in so long that I definitely can't. Uh, yeah, he goes at night and he does beat that. poetry. But in the daytime, his parents run a store of being a Scottish store, and he gets involved with somebody at a butcher shop. But his job is pretty, like, evasive, and he seems to have a lot of time on his hands to go on, like, tours of uh, Alcatraz. Okay. So there's, like, That's that right. whole job where he doesn't seem to have a focus 
and yet he exists and does things to entertain himself. That's kind of how I felt I was existing in LA when I saw the film where I had a job. I was trying to make it in the film industry, trying to write, trying to make contacts, but yet having no ways to do that, except that I would scoop ice cream at Ben and Jerry's. And (laughs) I felt like I existed and I did things like go to the movies and do things with people, but I just couldn't get anywhere. Right, right, right. (laughs) Okay, so I married an axe murderer. Do I need to watch that movie again? I mean, you can look at any of these. You can. I mean, I don't know if you need to do anything, right? Um, Another movie, again, it's funny. I I put Mike Lee again with Naked in 93. Oh, I would definitely put that on the list. And then, of course, now when you get in 94 and we have Reality Bites. Yep. And then we have, of course, uh, Slacker All the Way, Kevin Smith and Clerks. Yep. That is really... It's just, that's the epitome of a slacker movie. It is. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it is like the platonic ideal of a slacker movie. Yeah. One guy works at a video store. One guy works at a convenience store. They hang out. They goof around. They make stuff. They exist. Yeah. Have a good time, but they, are, they don't have any future. They're sort of trapped in this endless present where... Yeah, at a strip mall. In a strip mall. Yeah. Here's a movie I never saw while we're on the subject. Yeah. This may shock you, but I never saw Mall Rats. 95, one year later, it gets to my, and that is a very much a slacker movie. Yeah. Because it's the same basic thing. I mean, unfortunately, Kevin Smith never really evolved past Slackerdom, I don't think. <laughs> because it's just, you know, two guys really love hanging out at the mall, which yeah. I think it's interesting because the 90s really represent the last decade in which that really made sense or existed. What, hanging out at the mall? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Mall Rats, definitely an artifact. Some really bad acting, which is a staple of Kevin Smith movies. <laughs> I think he's a very overrated talent. I think he is not that clever a screenwriter. And he's a horrible film director. He doesn't know how to shoot anything. Uh, I think he's actually gotten worse over time. And his best thing is when he does these little college campus tours and tells stories. He's a raconteur is what he is. Yeah, I think you're being way too kind. I will tell you that he made <laughs> a new Jay and Silent Bob movie. Yeah. My wife and I got through the first five minutes. It is one of the worst movies ever. His movies are so amateurish and not in a way that like creates something greater than them. Sometimes Cassavetes is kind of amateurish. Yeah, he gets all, he's one of those that gets really praised, but I don't want to get into a whole Cassavetes launch, but for all his experimentation with actors, you know, working out. I find that sometimes you watch a scene and you really feel like, oh, it's two actors really being very actory together. Right. And it, it it doesn't feel as real as those who like to say a Cassavetes movies is real. I feel actually it's very much like, oh, these are actors getting a chance to do a lot of things emotionally and it's very rehearsed. Right. But then there are certain scenes that I feel like are very raw and real. Yeah. It's a mixed bag. It's a very mixed bag. Yeah. Okay. So let's see what else we got in here. Okay. Well, this is, a, I mean, to me, this is a, this is, this is like probably a different facet to the slacker movie, but it's a key component. We won't get into it too much, but Pulp Fiction. Yeah. I think, well, I mean, you can't really separate Gen X from Tarantino. He's that guy. His film education was the video store. And he was, is definitely one of the most influential filmmakers of his generation and created you mentioned well again it's tarantino i was just gonna say <laughs> true romance right i'm not even mentioning natural born killers because i don't count that as a slacker movie right but uh, there's something <sighs> i think if it was directed by somebody else 
other than Stone, it would have been a slacker movie. Yeah. You could have made two <laughs> slacker people who are also serial killers, but under Stone's you know, delusions, it turned into something like, I don't know, phantasmagoric. Well, and that's what I was wondering about is, is uh, slacker genre films. Like, are there slacker heist films or serial killer films? California, maybe? Yeah, and then there's The Killing Zoe, which is also an Eric Stoltz. Which is also Eric Stoltz, um, yeah. So now in 95, again, our boy Richard Linkletter. Of course. Before Sunrise. Yeah. Now these, again, I feel like are ultimate slacker movies. If I had to call the list down and use examples of perfect, this is a slacker movie before Sunrise, it doesn't matter what any of these people do for a job because it's about one night that these two characters who don't, they're just 20 something characters. Yeah. And they meet and then you get to hear about their thoughts, desires, dreams. Well, and they're smart and articulate and- Interesting, and I think that I don't know. Maybe I'm going out on a limb. 1995. I was 25. You were 24. These are films that probably connected with us in ways other than if, like, say, say someone who's 25 now watches it. I don't know what their thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, I I like to think that there's something timeless about that movie, just because it's essentially a bottle movie and is just about the characters. Well, we gotta get the millennial over here and see what he thinks. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I really just don't know. Yeah, no, I'm curious too. I'm curious too. But but I know that those movies have a following. Yeah, I just think my experience, it's not tainted, but it's it's through the lens of these are the movies that I kind of, I saw a lot of these in the theater. Yeah. And something like Before Sunrise, why I liked it is that I was at a time where I felt like I was a lot like his character. Exactly. And I was looking for like a role, like that's the kind of ideal situation where yes. you imagine, oh, I'm on a train in Europe and I meet this, you know, pretty girl and we get off the train and then we wander around a city for several hours and have a romance. Yeah. Total fantasy, but at the same time has, it has a little bit of darkness to it too. There's a little bit of sadness uh, kind of over the whole movie, I think. Yeah, it's a little melancholy. Uh, another movie that it, it was not in theaters. I mean, it was maybe in a theater somewhere. It bombed and somehow it became a cult favorite on video. It probably means something a little bit more to my wife's generation. She loves the movie. I can't stand the movie. <laughs> it's, again, Alan Moyle. I mentioned him earlier, pump up the volume. Empire Records. Yeah. It's a whole record store of slackers. Well, so is High Fidelity. That's on my list too. And that's kind of <laughs> ends, that's 2000. It kind of ends the yeah. the decade. But I don't have much to say on Empire Records. I don't either. Uh, I watched it once uh, at home. It's largely forgettable to me and not. I, I, I just didn't connect with the movie. I yeah. Guess. And that's okay. Not all these films are going to be ones we connect with, but that's, yeah. you know, I'm just taking us through the evolution. Mall rats, 95. Now here's one I didn't have on our original list, but I thought about this. What does all the movies we've been talking about have in common? Let's see if you know. Eric Stoltz. No, they're all white. I, I know. I know. I this was going to mention that too. White kids is like a white character experiences. And I was really searching. I'm like, is there, is there any slacker films that you could sort of, call slacker in a person of color genre i've got one. Oh, you do i do it's a big hit actually uh-huh f gary gray's friday oh chris tucker yeah. ice cube yeah that's a slacker movie that is a slacker movie okay that's good because for what you know when we were gearing up to do this to talk about this i kept looking at our list and thinking 
man, this is a really white genre. Well, think about the 90s in general. You know, I was thinking about this too. Uh, going back to how this whole discussion got started with um, Eric Jason Gray's All the Great Movies, yeah. we talked about shortcuts. And then he went and reviewed it on his Instagram page. Yeah. And he, he, you know, he had great things to say about it, loved the, a lot of the plots and all the characters and the seamless interweaving, all the stuff that we had talked about mm -hmm. on the show. But he did make a very excellent point. Here are 20 plus characters <laughs> yeah. and there's not one single person of color in the cast yeah. that's in, in a major role and certainly not in one of the characters. That doesn't happen uh, today. You wouldn't necessarily have that happen. But you know what? It did. And you have to look back. Okay. Was... Was Robert Altman was did, did he do that? Was he racist? I don't right. think it was that. Is that this is where it wasn't even about like studios didn't demand anybody of color. No, it was, there was there weren't thoughts were not given to diversity. It was just yeah. like oh, I'm going to tell this story and it's going to be about white people and nobody blinked an eye as far as Hollywood yeah. was concerned. And who knows what behind the scenes what films some director. Uh, wanted to cast somebody of color and then the studio says uh no right but i mean think about this list that i gave you there it's just there may be people of color and other ethnicities like the black and asian in them somewhere somewhere but it but really these are very white movies about white people having white people problems I, i'm going down the list and i'm thinking pulp fiction actually had a major character of color with, yeah. a, with, a, with an amazing performance. Yes. But like, I'm going to just quickly read Slacker, can't remember any. Life is Sweet, that's British, no. Where yep. the Heart Is, no. Pump Up the Volume, no. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, no. Wayne's World, no. Singles, no. Dazed and Confused. There's a couple of black characters in the well, movie. And, but, and Singles is another ensemble movie. Yep. Uh, True Romance. Well, there's a scene where the derogatory N-word <laughs> is used, as we all know. Right. And that makes it hard to watch now. Uh, Naked in New York, no. So I Marry an Axe Murderer, no. Naked, no. Reality Bites, no. Pulp Fiction, yes. Clerks, no. Before Sunrise, no. Empire Records, no. Mallrats, no. Friday, yes. Yeah. So it's really glaring. It's really glaring. And I think, you know, it's almost enough, not to discount the genre, but it, it's, it is one of the defining characteristics of the genre. I think it, you can't actually separate the genre out from the fact that it is largely about the experience of middle-class white people. A largely male white filmmakers. Yep. So again, it was interesting. And that's why when I was like, okay, this, I was starting to notice this as I put the list yeah. together and I'm like, is there no movies with people of color as the leads in a slacker film? And Friday was the one that came to mind. And then of course we go back to the, to the white guy experience with kicking and screaming Noah Baumbach. Yep. And then we finally, um, well, Penelope Spheris directed Wayne's World, but yes. we finally get a slacker of sorts movies directed by a woman, Nicole Holofcenter, I don't know how to say her name, yeah. Walking and Talking, which uh, has um, uh, Catherine Keener in it and right. Anne Heche. Okay. I've seen it, but I saw it on video. Then the debut of Wes Anderson with Bottle Rocket. And Bottle Rocket is definitely a slacker movie. <laughs> it's all the way slacker. Again, if I had to boil the list down, that would probably be in the top five. Uh, you know, A Cousin, his next movie in 98, the end of 98, Rushmore, very slackery, but I would not put that as a slacker movie. I agree. Yeah. Now, I mean, if you had to go to the list in your top five slacker movies, 1996, Swingers. 
Yes. Doug Lyman. And swingers is an interesting one because it's like a subculture within a subculture. They're act, they're all trying to make it in Hollywood. So they're not slacking at it. They're trying, but they're not very successful. It, like I feel like swingers takes place in its own world a little bit. Well, that's what I kind of like about the movie is they created a, like a Hollywood scene that may or may not exist. Right. It was exactly. this underbelly, this sub, this sub genre of people on the yeah. fringes. Because what, what I liked about it and times when I visited you, when you moved back out to LA yeah. and you had a crowd of people that you were friends with and they were, they were at varying degrees in Hollywood. Yes. Yeah. They, some of them were writers or directors, very, you know, getting somewhere. And yeah. I like this idea that in Hollywood, there are people, there's that small collection of people that have made it. Right. But there are a lot more people that are out there trying to make it. Right. And just kind of, uh, chipping away at it yeah and so we were at the stage where we don't know like the the fake characters that are in the movie what happened to them 10 years later did any of them make it where are they they really should make a sequel it would be interesting except for the the, the, the parallel story of the real life is that friends who they based it on you know the screenplay on it was uh jean favreau and vince yeah. vaughn and they didn't just become stars they became mega megastars yes. with arguably John Favreau being about as A-list a film director as you can get oh, absolutely. for a certain type of yeah. movie. Yeah, for a certain type of movie, but absolutely. Th those are interesting uh, stories, but I I fell for this movie hard. I, I saw that at Boston actually used to have a film festival and I had seen a trailer for it and found out it was going to be playing at the Boston Film Festival. And sometimes these independent films, you know, they don't come right. out. And so I wanted to see it with a friend. I knew nothing about it other than the trailer I saw, and I just loved it. And I saw it as soon as it actually did make itself into the independent uh, theaters. I saw it a second time. I saw it in the theater at least once. Uh, I mean, part of the thing with this movie is that it's so quotable and that the Vince Vaughn character is so unique. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think Vince Vaughn has ever been as Vince vaughn as he was in this movie. Yeah. So quick with his like words. And I love that. And it also created an aesthetic and a style. Like, like for an independent film, yeah. like how Pulp Fiction was so influential, there was a brief period where uh, swing dancing, it wasn't because of this movie, but there was like a two-year period where it was a fad with sort of 20-something hipsters. That's absolutely true. Well, I guess that's the thing with swingers a little bit is they're, they're more hipsters than slackers. I, but it's still a slacker movie, though. Oh, it, no, it absolutely is. I'm just, you know. Uh, As defined by this genre of 20-somethings trying to get somewhere. Yeah. Job-wise. White 20-somethings. Yeah. And you don't, <laughs> yeah, as we've discovered, white 20-somethings. What else do we have? Hey, another movie, Link Letter again. I didn't like this movie very much, uh -huh. um, but Suburbia. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. But here's an interesting little side note. It was written, it was based on a play by Eric Bogosian. Yes. And Eric Bogosian, he grew up in the 70s and he wrote this story about guys hanging out and gals hanging yeah. out at like basically a 7-Eleven. Yeah. And it was a 7-Eleven in his town. And in the, the area in his town was called Four Corners. Okay. Why do I know this? Because <laughs> I grew up in the same town as Eric Bogosian, and basically oh. the movie takes place in the 7-Eleven at the Four Corners that was up the street <laughs> from my house, and yet they transformed it into Texas, you know, and it became right. Linkletters. But that was the fascination for me, was I knew exactly what Bogosian was talking about. That's interesting. Yeah. And there was, when I, I moved to this town in 1979, 
And that was sort of the end of that. But there would be that group of like near dwells that would just kind of hover on the side of the 7-Eleven. Right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. So I, th- I think I even spent my time uh, loitering. Yeah. So there's that loitering crew that would yeah. like stake out their claim. So for that, it's definitely a slacker movie. I just didn't like it very much. Yeah. I, it, it didn't totally grab me. Everyone's two favorite white uh, cartoon characters, Beavis and Butthead. Oh, yeah. They were slackers. and They, they were absolute slackers. <laughs> they uh, they did America in 1996, Mike Judge. I enjoyed that movie. You did? I did. I saw it in the theater. I did too. And I enjoyed it. I haven't seen it since. I, I haven't no, either. But it, at the time, I thought it was uh, pretty fun and it made me laugh. And I actually think Beavis and Butthead are kind of funny. Yeah, they're, they're kind of funny. I mean, a little, little goes a long way. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that was 96. So now we're getting to 97. I feel like we're starting, we're, we're coming to the end of the list. Yeah. So we had that period. And as we get through it, Kevin Smith again, Chasing Amy, yeah, which is another movie where I liked the first maybe half of it, maybe the first two thirds. The last okay. third, I think is terrible. Terrible, huh? Hate it. Yeah. I think it totally went in a bad direction. Tell me more about that. At the end, it gets into this whole weird, very talky thing where- Ben Affleck and his buddy there, there's this whole discussion about whether to make things right, I'll have sex with you. Like, you, do you know what I'm talking about? Now, yeah. yeah. Well, it's been so long. The reason I had you go on a little more is I haven't seen the movie in a <laughs> so long you need time. To stretch. And then it just, the way it resolved between the two characters, I think you're in the hands of a not so great writer, Kevin Smith, right. who, who couldn't write himself an ending that was correct. And he's so immature that he couldn't handle the themes that were going on and right. do justice to the character the right way that, that that's where I, I he lost me at the end okay that's more detail than i have which is just that i saw the movie back then and i didn't like it okay yeah and i think that was one of his more successful films yeah uh the, the one that i hate with a passion uh, and i almost walked out of was dogma oh which i used to call dog crap <laughs> Oh, man, that movie. It was just a dead, I mean, I remember seeing it at Midnight Show. I think my girlfriend and I at the time, we must have snuck in like after seeing some 10 o'clock show at the multiplex. And there was like nobody in that theater. And you could have a pin drop. There wasn't a laugh on that screen. I don't understand why Kevin Smith has never hired a cinematographer who knows how to frame a shot. He did once, I believe, and I never saw this film, the one where Ben Affleck, is there not, don't remember the one where there's a baby involved? He got like Velo Sigmund to shoot it. Okay. Jersey Girl? Yeah, Jersey Girl. Okay. When did that come out? Mm, 2004. I, and again, I've seen a few of his films that I didn't think were like super terrible, but as a whole, not a big Kevin Smith person. Uh, biggest controversy, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, Chasing Amy. Now, of course, 98, another, the, the key staple, probably the, it, it's weird. It's ultimate in a slacker character, right. but it's not necessarily the kind of slacker movies we've been talking about, but it's probably the most well-known is the big lebowski yeah it's really a different type of slacker movie because it's an adult slacker <laughs> but he's a slacker I mean, but he is absolutely a slacker but yeah it, it is okay i'll give i'll give that i'll give that slacker movie oh people rated it as like one of the top slacker films of the night oh, really okay oh, yeah. but i feel like we're coming to the end and like again it's that's a slacker character but it's really he's not he's not fitting the mold of those 20 something right i do have one that I'm debating whether it's a slacker Oh, well, give movie. it to me. I'll tell you whether it is or not. Okay. Pie. No. No, that's a sci movie. Sci-fi. 
Not a slacker. Mm, well, I don't feel like it's a slacker movie. Okay. No, sorry. Okay, I was just throwing it out there as a possibility. No, 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 no. I know you want it to be, but it's not going to be. I will not, well, allow, I will not I was, allow it. <laughs> okay, how about Fight Club? I don't think so. I know there are people who put it in there, but I don't because he's got a, he's kind of, he's, he's, is he the corporate slacker? He's the corporate slacker, yeah. Yes. I, I don't know. I know, I know it fits in with a lot of things that Gen X was going through. So maybe we'll, allow, I'll allow that more than I will allow Pi. Yeah, that's the reason I'm putting it there in 99 as sort of a capper on the genre where it's examining a lot of the issues that were going on in that genre. Okay. That is largely white and male. Of course. But here we have uh, a female slacker, uh, white but German. Run, Lola, run. Oh, yeah. 98, Tom Tykwer. Yeah. I think that's a slacker movie. I think that's a slacker movie. Well, Yes, it is. She's a slacker, doesn't have a job, and she's running through the whole movie to get to her drug-dealing boyfriend. Okay. I'll give it to you. This was totally, in a way, influenced by Pulp Fiction, but the real real 20-something slacker version of Pulp Fiction is Doug Liman's Go. Yes. I would give you that. Yeah. And then- I would say for, you're talking about 99, you want to cap her, corporate office slacker, office space. Office space is absolutely a slacker movie. 2000, high fidelity, Stephen Frears. That's the guy who who's really faced with, I have to move on and grow up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I feel like high fidelity is a good capper. Except now, <laughs> we're going to go 18 years later. Oh, yes. There's a film I discovered and I started watching it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a slacker movie. There is a film by director Joel Petroikas. Who we've talked about before. A year ago, we watched Buzzard. Yes. That in itself was a slacker movie of shorts. Oh, it's absolutely a slacker movie, I think. Yeah, I think Buzzard is definitely a slacker movie. And yeah, I recommend Buzzard uh, to people that are into the weirdness that's Joel Petroikas, which is, it's its own, he's almost creating his own genre at this point. Yeah, he's kind of, they're they're definitely, like I've seen three of his films now. Uh, I've seen Buzzard, I've seen Alchemist Cookbook, and then this third movie, Relaxer. And Relaxer, I think in many ways is his most successful. And it is interesting because it, is one of the very first Y2K movies that's come out. <laughs> exactly. It's a movie about Y2K. It takes place in 1999. Yeah. It, it, it's hard to tell how much of 1999 is covered. <laughs> it seems like it could be at least from the summer. Oh, it's definitely from the summer because it's July 25th at one point. Exactly. He's already been sitting there for a while. So it's at least six months. Yeah. And I don't really want to tell people too much about this movie because it's if they want. I think we can tell the concept though, right? Yeah, give us the concept. Um, I saw it and I was like, I, I watched this movie and I was like, even before as I'm watching it and almost done, I'm texting you saying, this is a movie for you. And yes. it is totally a slacker movie. But you've, if you liked Buzzard, you're going to love this. And then you saw it and you did love it. Yes. And the same actor from Buzzard. There is something about this guy that you kind of can't take your eyes off him. Joshua Burge. He's got some kind of charisma and is also just willing to put himself through the ringer, it seems like, in terms of what he's experiencing emotionally and what he's not expressing about it. In this movie, though, and uh, he is in his underwear, sitting on a couch for the entire movie. Yep, playing video games. Playing video games. He's trying to reach level 256 in Pac-Man before Y2K. Jobs, career, all those things, paying bills, it's all secondary to, hey, 
there's an insane challenge that I've been dared to do. <laughs> yes. And there's some kind of rules and logic that feeds into, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this challenge and that makes it so I can't do other things. And right. one of the things is he's not allowed to leave the couch until he accomplishes a certain challenge. And he's already blown so many that he doesn't want to let down. He's got to get this other challenge. Yes. But I also think it's this idea that leaving the couch is somehow tied into responsibilities with the outside world. The outside world. But at the same time, he's sort of like cog in the capitalist system. Yeah. Buzzard does this too, where there's a critique of capitalism. But I think there's a little bit of a political thing going on in this movie about not being responsible, like you said, but at the same time being like chained, not to a desk, but like he has no money. He has no food. He doesn't even have water. <laughs> and so he's struggling to survive at the absolute bottom level of capitalism. And Buzzard is kind of the same thing, just like barely barely scraping by but i think you're right this is his most accomplished i haven't seen alchemist cookbook yet but but this movie is i really liked the cinematography it all takes place in one room and he does great stuff with how he uses the frame and how he shoots stuff uh to really make the most of it without uh being ostentatious about it there's no fancy shots or anything but he does communicate the story incredibly effectively through framing and really small camera movements and there's some very long shots there was a lot of choreography that had to go on but yeah there's a lot of really long shots and then it's you know this amazing central performance and a movie that it's kind of a journey like into his mind in a way yeah it's <laughs> It, it, for a guy sitting on a couch, it's actually kind of like uh, has the same plot as like Heart of Darkness. Well, that's why I like that he's <laughs> able to take simple concept, but find a way to keep you compelled for an hour and a half. Uh, it, that's yeah. not easy to do. You are going to like alchemist cookbook oh i know you I, yeah. are and there there's i think only two actors maybe there's three i don't know but they're all people of color oh interesting i didn't realize that okay and again he has this amazing ability to take a single location i, I think buzzard probably has the most locations yeah um this really doesn't ever leave the apartment right it never leaves the apartment yeah. you can at one point see through the door the open door into the hallway. That's as far as it gets outside the apartment. I even like the credit sequences. Oh, like me the, too. <laughs> I, I, yes, I loved the the font on the credits. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot to like. It's actually funny in a lot of parts. Well, that that was the movie I was talking about that I laughed oh, a lot. Oh, in Relaxer? <laughs> I was in hysterics during Relaxer at times. Uh, I, I know you very well. I knew that you were going <laughs> to love that. And now you must have known that you were going to love it too, because a lot of times I'll say, you should see this and you never do. But man, you went right for relaxer oh i went well because i'd been meaning to watch it for a long time because i liked buzzard and so I, i'd been looking forward to it and oh man it uh it definitely checked a lot of my boxes <laughs> it has a really unique voice it has there aren't other movies like it except maybe joel petroikas movies but he's a director who is doing something different and original and fresh and it doesn't feel like you've seen it a million times and that to me is something i'm really valuing right now in the midst of sort of the I don't know, whatever Netflix is churning out, which is... Because I don't mind like what you're talking about. Sometimes it's just, there was a period and you were not available for taping, yeah. but there was something that 
we talked about during the summer with one of the guests about it was exciting to get anything new as far yes. as the movie, uh, like that Hulu had this movie Palm Springs, and it was great to see something that I could have imagined seeing in the theater. Um, so there's some, and then there's there was some bland entertainment that Netflix put out that I don't think it was necessarily the greatest movie, but it was just fun to have something to watch. However, like you said, it, I can only take so much of the bland. I need exactly. something that's like something that's just a little different, and that's where this movie fit the bill. Exactly. Yeah. Just it's it's not easy to categorize. It's an original, fresh piece of work, and yeah, so many of these. We'll talk about it on a future show, but so many of the things I've been watching just feel like they don't, I don't know who's behind them, If it, it they, but it feels like they're put together by a committee. For you listening at home, as we end this program, keep this note in mind. On a future episode, maybe the next one, hopefully, with that idea of seeing something fresh and original, not necessarily like, oh, this is the best movie. It's not about that. It's about just no. seeing something fresh and original. There is the movie on Netflix out. We didn't talk about it because you haven't seen the whole thing. Yes. It's the new Charlie Kaufman movie. Um, I'm thinking of ending things. Yes. And so if you are hearing this, see it, get ready for it. We will hopefully talk about it next episode because like it or hate it, what it is is something unexpected and yeah. it's a more of a challenging movie to watch than your typical film. If all I ever saw was films like that, I would go insane. Absolutely. But you need to mix it up. And yes. lately I've been, uh, I've been in the bland zone a little too much. So relaxer fit the bill and woke uh, you up. And I'm thinking of ending this is, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I think an hour and 15 minutes in and already it's fitting the bill. It's like this. I haven't seen this movie before. For you new folks out there, hope you like this new take here with this old favorite Teal. <laughs> He's back. We're getting the band back together. Yeah, because I guarantee you, if you ever Teal went back and listened to some of the summer episodes, they definitely sound a little different. Oh, I bet they do. Yeah. Especially the one that's that's going to air. <laughs> like the next one I'm going to air <laughs> that uh, is, it hasn't aired yet, but it'll air by the time you hear this listener. That one is uh, that one's definitely different out there. Okay. <laughs> All right, people. Um, stuffweseen.com is the place to get the episodes um, or wherever you're listening to podcasts. And if that's where you make sure you subscribe, because then you're just going to get the episodes right into your phone. Um, and that's always good. So you can you know hear the latest and you can always write to us at feedback at stuffweseen.com. And then, you know, again, we've had guests who have reached out to us through Instagram or that. And, you know, you could be a guest and we'll, we'll get you on. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, you know, happy fall there, cowboy. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's go Time make to... some meth there, Jesse Pinkman. <laughs> <laughs> the old blue stuff. <laughs> Crystal blue persuasion. Yep. All right. Bye. <laughs> bye bye. Bye.